everywhere you go. Refreshes without filling. Why? You carry the fun with you. I never cease to wonder at the many ways scientists have learned to improve on nature. To think just what that means. Of course, it means many things. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. But first, here is your announcement. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Joining me today... Hello, uh, Ryan. Mr. Lee Froyce. <laughs> and Mr. Matt Lovell. <laughs> and it's me, your host, Mr. Ryan Parrish. How are we all? It's been a few weeks since we caught up. It's a new year. 2021's got off to a interesting start. Lee, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks while some insurrection's been happening? <laughs> uh, well, while some insurrections have been happening, I've been playing Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, very important things. Uh, Crash Bandicoot Four, specifically the new one, yeah. the first Crash Bandicoot game that I've been excited for in twenty years. And it, it was not misplaced excitement. It's a very, very good game. I'm really enjoying it. Does it live up to the originals? They've, you can tell that, like, what they've done with this one is after making the Insane trilogy, they kind of went, okay, we've kind of reverse engineered how these games work. Let's make a new game out of that way of thinking, which you know is a lot better than the ten years or so that followed. Naughty Dog leaving the franchise. So. I mean, it's the usual pattern, isn't it, with old Crash Bandicoot games or all Naughty Dog games. There's one, two, three games, and then a kart racing sim. <laughs> I'm still waiting on Uncharted kart racing. And I'm, um... <laughs> Uncharted. Uncharted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's what happened though in like the the early 2000s was that I played a couple of the Crash Bandicoot games that came out after Naughty Dog. Left yeah. the series, then went. No, I'm just going to stick with what Naughty Dog are doing and leave this leave, leave this franchise alone for a bit. <laughs> and um, now there's actually a good Crash Bandicoot game again. It's just it's kind of one of those things where like they've really leaned into the difficult but still fun kind of platforming that the originals did really well. That's how it should be. Any other exciting things? Not really, not at the moment. <laughs> for those international listeners, UK is back in lockdown, especially England, where all of us are based. So. We're very much ordered to stay at home, except for one small period of exercise a day. That's pretty much it. That's why we're probably not going to have too much to talk about in this segment. I'm not even leaving my house for exercise. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Um, nothing that exciting, to be honest. I have been catching up on a bit of um, TV, so I've been catching up on The Expanse. I've also been watching the second season of Tick, which for some reason I didn't watch when it first came out. I'm very disappointed that I didn't watch that when it came it's, out. That's that's brilliant. That's the Peter Serafinowicz version. Yeah, it, it's really good. It's a really good show. It's got a lot of um, good, you know, contents and nods to the, the previous series mm-hmm. and, the, and the comics, so I'm really enjoying that. And I can't what was it I started watching? I'm watching something and I've forgotten what it is. That's how good it was. I've, I've started watching it and forgotten what it is. But most of the time I've been spent just scrubbing through um, the various hard drives I've got um, at home. Almost a, a digital detox, you could say. Mm-hmm. Thinking, why have I still got files from 12 years ago and disk images of things that will just never load into my current operating system? Why have I hung onto these? Which is almost as bad as finding like boxes of old uh, Mac format CD ROMs <laughs> from, from the mid 90s. Here's some trial software that expired 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. What I did discover though is I'd got a folder of, is it Scum? Yes. The old kind of LucasArts things. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, I'm thinking, why have I still got these? And then I, then I realized it had got Fate of Atlantis in there, mm-hmm. which is one of the ones they did, I didn't get um, through the App Store. A few, a few months back, they did uh, Day of the Tentacle, Full Throttle, Grim Fandango, and I can't remember what the other one was. But, but they didn't do... Is it Fate Max? It. No, strangely, Sam, the Sam and Max games and, and Indiana Jones games don't tend to be ones that come back up every now and again. Yeah. I think I think a big part of it is because nowadays, um, like the Indiana Jones and Sam and Max are owned by a different company to Full Throttle, Grim Fandango, and yeah. um, whatever the other one was. Yeah, I think Double Fine owns most of them, but Telltale have the like had the rights to some of them. Yeah, so. Double Fine bought back Grim Fandango. They bought back Dare the Tentacle, and they bought back Full Throttle. Yeah. It's yeah. basically anything that Tim Schafer was like the lead on, they bought bought it back. So yeah, I think I think I've got on. On a various, quite a bunch of floppy disks, a, a, a copy of Zach McCracken, <laughs> um, which uh, I, well, I, I, it was a game I quite enjoyed. 
um, which is quite good. But at some point, I also need to figure out if I can fire up the old um, Star Trek Next Generation game um, that I've got. Because I seem to have, I seem to have a copy of that and uh, Voyager, the kind of a first-person Voyager shooter. Yeah. Like, you, why have I still got this game? Did you delete all your copies of Leisure Suit Larry? On <laughs> I can quite proudly say I have never owned a copy of Leisure Suit, Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> How much do we believe, Keith? <laughs> it's true, it's true. The, th- the thing I find funny about that is that I've been getting emails for like the recent Leisure Suit Larry, and I'm just like, I'm not covering this, you can go away. <laughs> That's a game. That's a game series that should have been left twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely one that should have been consigned to the past. Uh, Matt, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Come to Netflix, watching a few uh, series. First one is Ice in Borderland, which is a Japanese series, and uh, effectively the plot is you've got um, a group of twenty somethings, and one day they wake up in an abandoned Tokyo, and they're forced to play these life or death games. The life or death games can range from anything from team player games to, you know, being against each other and that kind of thing. And by winning the games, you can then live a little bit longer. It's really, really good. <laughs> I, I completed the first series. It is absolutely fantastic. The storytelling is brilliant. The the kind of all the characters are really well rounded and also the plot is quite balanced. There's not really a lot of um filler or fluff which is quite common with these kind of things that's debuted on netflix early december uh, so i'd recommend giving that watch and the other one is sweet home which is a korean series also debuted on netflix again really interesting premise you've got this um, apartment block where they basically wake up one day and it's it's locked down there are monsters roaming outside and people are starting to turn into monsters and it's again can't really say much about giving the plot away but it's just another one of those interesting premises and the effects and the whole creature design monster design is really really fantastic those are really been taking up a lot of my time sweet home is like a, a name that keeps fascinating me because it was like an old japanese horror movie which ended up becoming resident evil yeah so I, when i first saw it i was so a lot of people have kind of put the two together, even though it's a completely separate thing that has nothing to do with it. I mean, that is one of the great things of great enablers about Netflix. It does allow people who've not had a chance to see some foreign language stuff to enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. Both of them are dubbed as well, if you don't like subtitles. And actually, the dubbing is quite good. Um, Reasonable. As far as dubs go, yeah. Like, yeah. suspension of disbelief, you almost can't tell. <laughs> I've never been a fan of live-action dubs. It just always throws me off. Like, I'm okay with, like, animated stuff, but it's the live-action ones are always, like... <laughs> yeah, especially when they can't match the voice to the, yeah. to the face. Yeah. Where with anime, you can kind of do that a little bit better, but mm-hmm. no, I'm get it. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot on TV adverts nowadays, for, like, cleaning products, is I'll do <laughs> one generic advert for the whole world and then just dub them over. So you blatantly watch somebody speak German or French whilst English words come out of their mouth and just like <laughs> I don't know why it's cleaning product adverts in particular but that's one thing I've really <laughs> seemed to notice recently it's like all dental adverts the dubs are really bad like really <laughs> obviously bad <laughs> With a two second delay and everything yeah how about yourself Ryan what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks I can probably get away with this in three words nothing but Cyberpunk 2077 that four words, it's four words. <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077 is just one word in the title <laughs> yeah I've not really had much time for anything geeky because I've been busy at work so my leisure time has been basically trying to break Cyberpunk 2077 the game because <laughs> the balancing on it is kind of awful so I picked up one gun that kind of does like 100,000 damage every time I fire it so it's 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 good fun to just play with that gun basically there's a gun which it's a revolver in the game but it fires six shots in one but you can stack all the perks so like there's one perk where it gives double damage if it's the last bullet and like there's another perk which gives extra damage if it's like critical headshots so you just stack them all up and just pop somebody in the head and they just it kills every enemy in the game (laughs) it's quite hilarious so it's basically just now just me going around going bang bang there's like no kind of challenge left in the game now. It's kind of I've I've broken the game for myself, but I'm quite annoyed about it. It's like, it's like, Equip a different gun. Yeah, but what's the fun in that? You have the. It's like having the best 
gun in Halo and then not using it, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just bring out Mr. Shooty and that's all he does. That's <laughs> good fun. It's like when you bought Dead when you buy Dead Space Two now and they give you like all of the everything, all of the upgrades and everything right away, and you're like, oh okay. I couldn't, I don't need to use them, but they're all there now. It'd be rude not to. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like it's the whole point. It's like the Nissan Leaf thing in the SimCity 4, where it just gave free happiness. So it's kind of like, well, I don't need to do any work, I'll just put that down. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, like, I think developers break their games on purpose now so people can just have more fun playing with them online. I think it's just like for YouTubers to go around and find all the interesting broken stuff and make more videos. But yes, I look forward to future Cyberpunk patches, which stops breaking the game so much. But it's better what is there. That's pretty much been it for me. I suppose we should really talk about what's coming up on the show. So we're going to, it's a kind of a digitally special. So we're going to talk about re-release of Scott Pilgrim versus the world, the game. I think that's the right name. Probably isn't. But yes, anyway. That's, that's, that's the official <laughs> title. Yes. <laughs> But that's finally come back out after seven years, I think, in the wilderness since it was taken yeah, through seven, seven. main platforms. Uh, we'll be looking at the cost of certain digital services and their price increases and what effect this is having on people who are stuck at home in lockdown. Uh, we shall be looking at Lucasfilm Games, which has just come out from the wonderful people at Disney, and the seemingly breaking of the EA exclusivity deal. And we'll also be looking at some online learning tools and how this affects the learning spectrum around the world. But we'll be back after this. And now it's time for your usual comics roundup. It's a short roundup this week with only two titles coming out in the next couple of weeks of interest. First up is Sword number two from Marvel. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Valerio Shiti. It's uh, the second issue in the dark. What is Protocol 5? The Sword Station is thrown in at the deep end of a planetary crisis as Krakoa battles the King in Black, while a cross division team takes on latex dragons from outer space. Abigail Brand prepares a deniable operation all her own. What is Protocol 5 and can Earth survive it? First issue was great fun and Al Ewing is on fire right now with all of the books that he's writing. Uh, So if you are interested in intergalactic adventures and the mutant X-Men, this is worth picking up. And then we have Once in Future number 15 from Boom Studios. This is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Dan Mora. Bridget and Duncan return to a familiar place to pick up Lancelot's trail, while Rose comes face to face with another member of the Maguire family she was not expecting to see. I've really been enjoying Once in Future with Gillen take on British folklore so if you have any interest in that it's definitely a title worth picking up and finally we'd like to pay tribute to Steve Lytle who passed away this week at the age of 61 he was the fan favourite artist on Legion of Superheroes as well as a short run on Doom Patrol he later went on to do loads of covers including many for the Marvel Classic X-Men reprint edition we'd like to pass on our condolences to all his family and friends and that's it for this week's pull list and now back to the main show after a long time in the digital wilderness, the Scott Pilgrim game, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the game, has come back out as of the time of the release of this episode. So originally it was published back in August 2010. It was delisted off, I think it was the PlayStation 3 at the Xbox 360 at the time, back in December 2014. Yep. Yep. And it's finally been re-released, which was on the 14th of January, and it's going to PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, PC, Stadia, and there's also a limited physical edition run, which uh, went up for pre-order on the 15th. As I did not play this game too much back in the original day, and I'm not that much of a Scott Pilgrim fan as some of the people on this show, (laughs) I'm going to leave them to... (laughs) I'm going to leave them to talk more about this. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World of the Game is a brilliant brawler. It is basically River City Ransom, but with a Scott Pilgrim skin and refined. I still have it. I still have the original on my PS3 because, thankfully, like even though they got rid of it, if you still had a copy of it, you could still play it. It's not like a PT situation where some people are losing access to that even though it's, you know, after it being delisted and stuff. Yeah, it's it's just a really fun co-op brawler. I think a big part of why it's kind of become legendary is because it got delisted. One of the key thoughts on it. (laughs) Well, I mean, obviously, I I was a big fan of the comic. Mm -hmm. I think the film came out at a very similar time to when the games... Yeah, around the same time. Very similar in the same year. Obviously, the the soundtrack to it is is brilliant. Mm -hmm. But the game really works because 
for me as well because it's so close to the art style of the original comic. So all the characters in it are really recognisable. All the locations are really recognisable. All the little kind of upgrades and and the way certain characters moves and punches and and stuff really work. And the, the kind of little comic style sound effects that pop up when mm-hmm. you punch somebody oh, yeah. you get the, the KOs and everything and being able to walk into the shops and buy upgrades and all that kind of stuff was just like it was great it was just just really funny I mean it was hard I thought it was relatively tough as a single player I think yeah I think I only beat it in co-op it was everything I, I liked about the film and, and the mm-hmm. comic so it was really good and I, I played it on PlayStation 3 unfortunately I got rid of my PlayStation 3 mm-hmm. I defected to the uh, mighty green box but yeah, the the fact that it's come back is fantastic, and the fact that people like Limited Run are going to do a physical edition is kind of yeah. like, oh yeah, I can I can get that now. And you know, being able to think, oh, if as long as I can hang on to the hardware, I'll still be able to access that game, whatever happens. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that was one of the downsides of the original release is that it was a digital release. Yeah, it was just PSN and Xbox Live. Yeah. So, so I think at the time, if it had come out on a disc, I'd have probably got it, and then with backwards compatibility, probably might have been able to play it. It was kind of, it was a cult hit, I think. That, that's what made it so cool. It was, it was just this little game that came out and was like, people in the know were playing it. Well, it, that's kind of like the franchise in general, like the comic and the film are both cult hits. They weren't like big mainstream successes, but there's definitely like a devoted fan base that clings to it, because it's, it is excellent. And it's very interesting to see that They've used uh, a very small physical release publisher who does more like one-off, very small runs, rather than probably tying up with one of the bigger publishers to re-release this. Well, it's made by Ubisoft. Yeah. It is one of their internal studios. But I think like it is because it feels like an indie game, even though it is made by Ubisoft, because if you look at a lot of... Those sorts of games nowadays tend to be made by smaller studios, and they tend to be like the. Mm-hmm. And Limited Run tends to do a lot of those smaller games. Yeah. Um, so I think it is just kind of reflecting that a little bit. And I mean, I think it's just also Ubisoft don't want to pull out the stops for Scott Pilgrim when they could be doing it for Far Cry or Assassin's Creed, you know? Yeah, <laughs> true. And, uh, the other thing is, uh, from what I've seen of the game, I said I didn't really play it back in the time, it's very much inspired by like the Streets of Rage. Mm-hmm. Those kind of 16-bit brawlers, from what the, yep. I can see from the art style. And you think that still works nowadays? We've had Streets of Rage 4 come out recently. Mm-hmm. Well, Streets of Rage 4 was one of my favourite games from last year, uh, yeah. without a doubt. It was a brilliant game. Scott Pilgrim is very much of the same level of quality as that. I think I would honestly probably say that Scott Pilgrim is one of my favourite of that genre. Streets of Rage is obviously is the obvious one that people bring up, but having played River City Ransom, it's more like that. Like even the thing of like being able to go into shops and things comes from River City Ransom. It feels very much like they made that and reskinned it. I can't remember the last time I played it. It would have probably been when I did my top one hundred of the decade. I probably went back and played a bit of that to get some footage for it and it still holds up. So I think it's one of those genres that we kinda of get the feeling that oh there's no no place for that, but there is because every time a game like that comes out there is an audience that jumps on it. Scott Pilgrim just feels really good to play. And like like Keith was saying, it really captures the feel of the comics and the film. Every enemy, you punch coins out of them. So it's, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's very much in the spirit of the of both the comic and the film in that respect. Just just the little visual things. Like If I remember rightly, Wallace punches with like a rainbow fist effect, I think. Uh, I never had the Wallace DLC, so uh, I'm... I, th- I, think, I, think that, I think that's one of his things, that when he punches, it's like a rainbow effect because obviously Wallace is Scott's um, game. I know you could um, call him Knives as a support in the original game and like she had like the, the love bubble yeah. came out and that's what Again, I think for me, well, it reminds me a lot, especially when you get to co-op play of things like the X-Men arcade machine, the Teenage Mutant Ninjas arcade machine. So any of those old school kind of side-scrolling beat-em-ups. And, you know, if you, if you were old enough to play games in the arcade, those four people around a cabinet playing side-scrolling beat-em-ups were always the best um, games to play, really. They were really good. Uh, and I think you, you can still play four-player co-op on the on this new release as well. Mm-hmm. So that would be good. Um, so I'm looking forward. To, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, you can do it online as well. But there's nothing like playing in the same room with people when mm. you're playing a game like that. Yeah, that's how. Again, that's that's how I played the original. It was just me and a friend on a sofa. Matt, did you play it back on release? I did. Yeah, briefly with my friend on their PS3. We we would like just lie on the bed and play it. Basically, similar to what Liam Keith said, it's it's a weird one because 
I think all of the Scott Pilgrim sort of multimedia, they hit a certain vibe, but I can't really explain it. It just makes me feel nice, warm and fuzzy. And it's just, as a game, it was visually pleasing. But also, I can't, because I didn't play it that much because I was um, playing it with a, with a friend. It'd be interesting to see it re-released now, because I do agree. At the time, I thought it was a really brilliant brawler, and I think it would still stack up today, like seven or so years on. But also the delisting is still quite interesting because even though it's probably just a thing of Ubisoft lost the rights or something, it's there was no actual statement. It just kind of disappeared, and it kind of fueled the whole intrigue of it. And in a way, that kind of works with the whole Scott Pilgrim vibe anyway. I think I kind of, from what I've heard in bits and pieces, I think what happened was that Universal were the problem as to why it got delisted, because obviously they made the film, and they had some rights within the game as well, and they refused to uphold those rights or something like that, because I know Ubisoft wanted to get it re-released, Brian Lee O'Malley wanted to get it re-released, Anna Managuchi had been pushing for its re-release, and it's like everyone involved in this except Universal wanted this thing on sale, so... It's really interesting because it comes to that subject of what do you class as abandonware or vaporware or a game such as this, which had what seems to be a really cool following because uh, it's coming from a really cool comic book and a cool movie. But it feels very much like the similar situation where we mentioned before about Driver San Francisco, where rights just disappear and then games evaporate and so then have to try and explain to somebody about how good this game was or who sent mm-hmm. you. Going back to old hardware to play a game, so you mentioned going back to a PS3, what happens if your PS3 breaks? You can't then restore it from a digital store because it's no longer listed. Actually, I did. Because um, if you put, because it was, even though it was delisted, you could still de- download it if you pre purchased already. Um, because my PS3 did die and I had to buy a Slim. Um, and one of the first things I did was like scroll all the way through my download list. <laughs> It took forever because, like, you can't just search through your download list, and it was just this massive. <laughs> so eventually, I found it there, but you couldn't. I couldn't search for it because obviously it had been delisted, but it was still on my download list, and I couldn't yeah. install it. Thankfully. But if you'd missed out at that time, if you hadn't downloaded it in that window, there's no other way of getting it, especially for a digital title. And I think that's the joy of a physical release we have talked about in the past. Like you mentioning Driver San Francisco, that one's kind of less of a, a concern because. It had a physical release. Like I've still got my copy of it. It's a sim- there was a similar situation with Alan Wake as well. If you already had a 360 version of that physically, then it wasn't going to matter that it got de- digitally. Yeah, just very interesting to see. That's kind of the, like the pitfall of buying a digital version sometimes. And I think like in those two cases, just there, um, that was music, and it's always the music and film companies that are the problem with this. I've noticed the game companies seem to, un- with one exception, and that's PT. But other than that. <laughs> It's because of music or film rights or something like that. But yeah, if you've not played it, would you all three recommend picking it up, whether physical or digital? Just buy it in every version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get it, get a digital, get a physical. They re- released it on cassette for Commodore 64, I'd get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll put links in the description below the podcast, so you can go and knock yourself out and buy a digital version or... Oh, I like that. Knock yourself out, considering the limited run are doing an absolutely gorgeous edition called the KO edition, which comes with a, a box that lights up and plays music. It's like temptress, you temptress, but a little, a little bit on the steep side. It's even got spotlights, Keith, which shine on the end. No, no, I still keep looking at with with fondness at the Scott Pilgrim miniatures game. Yeah, and go. Like, should I at some point buy? Just the figures, maybe. But yeah, I, I can't justify just keep buying all of this really kind of random Scott Pilgrim merchandise. Here's a challenge for all three of you. Sum up Scott Pilgrim in one word each. Uh, Lee. Oh God. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is lesbians because of the uh, I'm in I'm in lesbians with you line. <laughs> Matt. Colourful. So I think that works for everything from the stories, the characters, the music, everything. It's just colourful. And um, Keith. I, I'll just go with. KO! <laughs> <laughs> so, the colourful KO with lesbian love. <laughs> and that's why we recommended it. Go out and get it now. We're all stuck indoors. It's the middle of a pandemic. There's not really much else to do rather than sit out in front of a screen and veg out with your media streaming of such service of choice. 
a lot of companies are whacking up their pricing. So I'll go for a couple. So Netflix UK on the 1st of February are increasing their standard package from 8.99 to 9.99 and for their premium package which has ultra HD and up to four viewers that's going from 11.99 to 13.99 two pound price increase. Disney Plus for the 23rd of February is launching Star is it Star Plus on their service and they're increasing prices cover towards that. So the monthly fee is going from $5.99 to $7.99, or the annual package is going from $59.99 to £79.90. And also, for those who use cable for their streaming services, Virgin Media on the 1st of March are putting their price up between £2.50 and £4.50 per month per customer. It seems to be, are people capitalising on this? Do you think it's because of the pandemic and people are streaming a lot more? Is it bandwidth cost? Is it amount of production. I mean, Netflix's excuse was they're using it as a investment in original programming. What do we all feel about it? I mean, in fairness with Netflix, I don't really understand their business model because it's like, let's spend all the money, keep spending all the money, and then spend more money. <laughs> so I'm surprised, I'm quite surprised and impressed that they are where they are, and they keep making some you know a lot a lot of decent content yeah in that um, case i can believe them when they say that they're going to reinvest it because they are throwing <laughs> money at everything at the moment so yeah <laughs> seems to very much follow the amazon model of business as people are probably aware amazon has never officially made a profit all they do is all the investment and all the money goes back into buying up other businesses or copying other products and then listing those for sale as an amazon basics Mm. or expanding their delivery network elsewhere. I can, I can kind of see it with Netflix, I agree. I mean, we had a lot of good stuff come out. We've had Stranger Things. Uh, we've had Bridgerton, that's come out recently. I know a lot of people are... Shonda Rhimes series, a lot of people are looking for that. There's been quite a lot of original anime they've produced or co-produced or funded. And they're still buying a lot of other products. So, like, look at Star Trek Discovery, which they bought for the rest of world rights from CBC, um, CBS. Mm. Sorry, I kind of agree with that one a little bit. It's common that people will obviously share passwords and accounts and that kind of thing, even when they've got a one-person account. Kind of think it's okay. It, it does become a problem when obviously you're you've got loads of different subscriptions. It might get to a point where you have to start picking and choosing, and maybe doing or rolling. So if something's on a certain network, you'll have to subscribe to that for a month, etc. I think. To be fair, given back in the day when it was, you know, purely like Sky and that kind of thing, and the packages they were going out with were quite expensive as a flat rate, it's not too bad because at least you still have the sort of flexibility to pick and choose what you want as opposed to you're spending a lump sum and you're getting 600 channels most of them are just a write-off straight away are we going back to that kind of cable structure the equivalent of cable now where you're just picking a package for yourself are you picking the netflix package or are you picking the prime video package i mean netflix used to be known as the place that everything was on and it seems to be they've mm-hmm. lost so much licensed material i know it was a big thing in the u.s at the end of last month's where um, I believe the Office US got taken off Netflix. It's one of those shows where people are going to watch that on constant repeat. And I think it's been moved to the Peacock service in the US. Which is which is strange because that's a free service in, in the US because that's an NBC. But it, it, it was on Amazon here in the UK, and I think it still is on Amazon. And then it's now come back to UK Netflix, the Office, which is bizarre. I think I think they know they can charge us money because we're in a world where everybody wants to see something first and they want to be able to tell everybody everything that happened and it's it's it they know you know Disney Plus will be an example that with all the new Marvel and Star Wars content they've got going there nobody's going to wait for that to become available through an iTunes or on Blu-ray or whatever it is, everybody's going to want to see that straight away. I mean, we already we already saw that with like the staggered release of Disney Plus to begin with, like yeah. people, like over here and everyone was just like trying to avoid the US users on Twitter <laughs> from spoiling everything for them, and that's that's what it is. Yeah, so I've, I've looked at certain things. I think particularly because in America they had DC Universe. So that was a service which um, housed all of the DC content. So it also had the comics, but it also had all of DC films and all the DC TV series. So in America, they had Titans, they had Doom Patrol, they had um, all of that kind of stuff, the animated films. Over here, it's all separated out because it's on different net- different networks by whoever's bought it. So Titans was on Netflix. Um, 
Doom Patrol was on Stars, which was like an add-on to Amazon, and it was just it just became ridiculous. So I think in the end, I ended up just buying the iTunes show when it was on sale for like about nine pounds to get the whole of the Doom Patrol, so I could watch that without having to pay another yet another subscription to another service to see the one show that in another territory is all lumped together. It's the same with CBS. You're getting Picard, you're getting Discovery, you're getting Lower Decks over here. Some of it's on Netflix, some of it's on Amazon. It's like, you know, it's 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 much like with what we were talking about with Scott Pilgrim, the licensing in different territories just makes it a nightmare for everybody else because it's like yeah. in America it might all be on one service, but in the UK or in Europe it might be on three or four. So well, you've got to spread your subscriptions. It's interesting you mentioned DC Universe because that service got switched off and they replaced it with HBO Max now. Again, aggregation of content into one provider. So they're putting all the HBO stuff on there and all the Justice League movies and the Snyder cut that yeah. we'll never probably get in the UK at some point. But, but again, um, that's a service that doesn't exist outside of America. Yeah, same with Hulu. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, what's going to happen with that content? I think just recently, Wonder Woman 84 has gone up for rental on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, 12 quid, I think. Like, Fifteen ninety nine, I think, is the um, the asking price for a two day rental. Yeah, and it's right. like I'm, I'm going to wait a month. It's going to be twelve ninety nine. <laughs> buy out right. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can probably get it on DVD for a tenner on pick and mix. But, um, <laughs> but I think it's, when you start adding all of the co- all of the costs together, you kind of go and like yeah. you were saying and Matt was saying, it's like I look at what I pay for a Virgin subscription, and it's like kind of I only need you for broadband now. Yeah, so well, you kind of like and, and my mobile phone network is going. We're going to have 5G in a bit, and like we can just bundle that in with everything and just put you in a box, and you can get like 14 meg, you know, 14 gigabyte. You could be like you're living in Korea, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it won't be, won't be terrible UK. Broadband. Yeah. So flipping back to Virgin Media, then. So it is their first price. Right? They think they didn't do their usual price rise in October. So it has been a while since they've done their price rise, but I think quite a few people were shocked by the actual the size of it. And it's like usually it's like a quid, two quid max, but the average is apparently £3.68, but I think most of the customers probably fall into the £4.50 increase, which doesn't sound like that, but when you put that onto an annual basis, that's nearly £60. I've all, I've always felt we subsidise the sports and movies channels a little bit yeah. in, in that. If you if you bundle in, with it's the same for Sky, if you bundle in the kind of sports and movies bits, you kind of end up getting quite a good deal. But I've always kind of thought, well, I'd rather pay Virgin a small amount per channel and I can pick and choose the channels that I want. So I want certain ones that that are available because I can't see that content elsewhere. For, for example, in the UK, it's where I would see The Walking Dead because I'd have to get Fox. I'd like to get Sky Atlantic as a separate piece. But then you'd have to go like Obviously, that's not, that's not Virgin, so that's a pain. So that meant that I couldn't watch things like Watchmen. It's tricky to watch things like Westworld or other genre things that are, get, that are going on. And then you've got weird stuff like now Apple TV have entered the mix. So they've got the Foundation series coming up soon, which will be on, on Apple TV. So it's kind of like, if you're a genre fan, it's really bad. You know, If you like reality TV, you're well-serviced elsewhere. Um, <laughs> but if you want good quality genre drama... And, yeah. and then it's weird because like, you know, I, I, the, game, the, the thing that I'm watching on Netflix that I've Forgot. Cobra Kai, which I'm really enjoying, but I didn't watch that originally because it was a paid-for service on YouTube. I didn't watch it, so it's kind of a bit weird. It's kind of like you think at some at some point something's got to give, especially as as we we can have to yeah. make choices about where our money goes. All right, we'll quickly flip back to Disney Plus as well with the new Star Plus service. They look good because you're going to have like Lost, uh, How I Met You Mother, Prison Break, Twenty Four. Again, it's all kind of those shows which are possibly repeatable watches for lots of people where it's serialized either comedy or drama i don't know if many people are clamoring to watch lost again yeah but (laughs) it feels like it feels like it's kind of being forced upon you for an extra 20 quid a year rather than being an upgrade which we know they can do because they did that with mulan where they charged a separate fee for that so it could have been a case of oh if you want this star plus thing it's an extra quid two quid a month or 20 quid a year so I don't know why they had to feel like that to bundle that in. I, I know why, because it's Disney. Yeah. It's <laughs> what Disney do. Yeah. But, I mean, they, they do have enough coming out. So um, we're going to have the first episode of uh, WandaVision this week, or is it next week? 
it, it would have, I think, would as have, people yeah. are hear, what, hearing this, it will have already, the first episode will have aired already. Yes, so the episode would have aired yesterday. Yeah, so. But, and then you've got Falcon and Winter Soldier and all the other stuff coming up soon. And looks like getting a raft of new Star Wars content coming in. Personally, I'd have been happy to pay the same price just for that content for next year rather than having to pay extra for stuff that I know I'm not going to watch. Just do it as an upgrade package, and I think a lot more people have been happy about that. But I suppose they're just thinking it's a flat fee and we're going to extract the extra 20 quid out of your wallet regardless at this stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not a bad price for what you get on yeah. disney i think i think you get quite a, a decent amount of of good quality content and if you've got children mm-hmm. it's brilliant because you know there's there's masses of stuff on there that you can let the kids watch kind of taking over from can't remember what the name of the app that they used to have which was like a disney app i think you pay like a five or a month for that i think it was disney universe or something wasn't it yeah i can't remember yeah. what it was but that had a lot of that had a lot of the same content and that was like a five hour a month so disney plus still looks like a fairly decent price i think 70 79 pound a year that's not too bad as time goes on then that may change because there might not be as much it also seems they're limiting their audience a lot i mean the pandemic's been rolling on for a while and if you think about the major audiences for this which is the us and the uk a lot of people have been on furlough. A lot of people have lost their jobs. And I think streaming services is probably going to be the first thing they're going to look at cutting because it's just going to get unaffordable for a lot of people. And it doesn't seem like a big pay, pay increase to, in cost-wise, but an extra of three or four pounds or dollars a month makes a big difference to a lot of people where they're trying to save every penny or cent they can at the moment. Yeah. We're not all doing any much else except watching it. So I suppose they got us kind of over a barrel with this. I think that is an interesting point, though, because in especially the last sort of like 12 months, all we can really do is consume. So I think a lot of this is kind of testing the waters. Like, same again with things like the Milan release and that kind of thing. It's kind of Disney going, if we do this, how many people are actually going to do it? How much can we try to test the parameters of what they can and can't do? And I think with subscriptions as well, maybe there's a bit of they're kind of hoping you just you complain for a bit, then you just get get on with it. But I think it's it's all very interesting because what is it going to look like in, say, two years' time? And as Keith said, the things with like licensing and that kind of thing, I can't imagine how much of a minefield that must be now but with exponentially more content coming out, um, is having more division going to then cause loads of problems? Well, this is the thing with the Marvel shows, they, especially with the Netflix licensing. So this is why they stopped Daredevil, Defenders and everything like that, because they knew they were setting up their own streaming service, and Netflix has the license to show those. So that's why they've cut them out of the entire MCU, even though they were MCU shows. So it's kind of, we're already in that kind of situation now where Disney like, well, we'll throw away what we already had and what's already established canon and create our own new raft of shows and it kind of leaves the other ones behind. The slight difference with those is that Disney licensed them to Netflix to screen whilst retaining the rights. So I think Daredevil has come out of its rights already, so that could roll back. So I think over the next 12 months, there is a strong possibility, especially with the introduction of the star part, mm-hmm. we will see Disney Plus bring back in those four or five shows from Netflix over the next 12 months. I think the other interesting thing for streaming services, and I think specifically for this year, is the, the kind of cross-platform releases of movies. Uh, I know that Legendary and Warners are all kind of looking at that um, releasing a lot of their big movies. Marvel are also considering it this year. So that'll be an interesting thing to see what happens with that because yeah. obviously we haven't got HBO here so we're not going to get the kind of likes of the DC movies or the Godzilla versus Kong or any of those. Kind of yeah. So how much of that makes a difference? I think this year is an interesting one. I think it might work for a short time but like Matt says, when the, when the costs come down you, you are going to start going, what am I getting the most value for money out of? and you're going to cut the ones that you don't want. Yeah, it would be interesting to hear your feedback on this, so drop us an email at hello at geekybrimmy.com or drop us a tweet or a Facebook post. Always interesting to hear what our audience think. A long dormant video gaming name of the past has returned after 31 years, I think, since it was last in active use, which is Lucasfilm Games or as most people would name them as LucasArts. So it was originally Lucasfilm Games from 84 through to 1990, then swapped to LucasArts from 1990 to 2013, and it was cruelly put out to pasture by Disney after the purchase of Star Wars, but now has returned back in 2021. And we thought it'd be worth having a quick roundup because 
some been some really interesting news over the last few days about it. First is EA seems to have lost all their exclusivity deals. We've had we had an unnamed announced Star Wars open world game from Ubisoft and Massive Games and we've had a unnamed Indiana Jones project which leaves very very excited for and that's with Bethesda and Machine Game. So which I'm cool. hoping will be an Xbox exclusive to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> I mean like the good thing is like if with the whole Indiana Jones and Bethesda being bought by Microsoft there is a chance it'll be Game Pass. Yeah. And that would be great, you know, just load it up as soon as it comes up and it comes out and I don't have to pay extra for it. It's been a long time since you've had a good Indiana Jones game. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it will be an Xbox exclusive, to be honest, because the the tone Microsoft games, gaming has taken in the past is as long as people are playing games where whatever they're on and wherever they are, and they're happy, and we make money off that, being in brackets. Yeah. Let's then, not be like the Spider-Man people, where we'll yeah. keep talk to ourselves. Yeah. No, it's a great game, and we won't let anybody else play. Yeah, they're more than happy to share yeah. Share share, share the indie love. That's all. Yeah. yeah. I'm hoping well, the open world game is GTA Jar Jar. <laughs> that'd, that'd be great. Miss, I'm gonna steal your car. <laughs> Just imagine that would be fantastic. No, Running around as a gun gun. That'd be just awesome. No, you know what it's gonna be. It's gonna be Assassin's Creed Coruscant or whatever. <laughs> it could be Far Cry Coruscant yeah, because they are slightly different. That sounds hugely similar to that 3013 game that they were developing a few years back. Yeah, it? yeah. Because well, if we look back at the history of EA's ownership of the license, they, ha- they haven't really done a fat lot with it, have they? There's been what Galaxy of Heroes, that terrible mobile microtransaction fest. We've had the Old Republic, which is the kind of successor to Knights of the Old Republic that we don't talk about. Uh, we've had Battlefront One. Battlefront 2 mini pack expansion. Pay for those DLC costumes, people. Then we've had Jedi Fallen Order, which is actually a fairly decent Dark Souls-like. And then we've had Squadrons, which is kind of spiritual success to those old LucasArts X-Wing versus TIE Fighter games. But considering they've had this license for eight years, that isn't a but, lot of content. And also think about it this way. For all of those games, there's also at least one game that they've cancelled at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, like... 1313 was the one, and then you had, there was the separate one that you had um, Amy Hennig working on. That was quite far through pre-production as well, wasn't it? Yeah. All the concept art and everything was really on that one. See, as someone who isn't a massive Star Wars fan, the fact that it had Kim Swift and Amy Hennig on it was interestingly on its own, and I feel like cancelling that was a bad decision, just from a personal perspective. (laughs) That is the thing of the nature of the beast nowadays, is games will just be cancelled because we seem to have had a lot of that recently where people just lose faith in a project halfway through from it. It just gets consigned to the, the bin of death, especially with EA and their per- their vampire purchasing of studios. The thing that interests me is who they've chosen for partners. And I know Ubisoft isn't in great shakes as a company at the moment, but it is interesting to see that these are the people who developed Far Cry 3 and Assassin's Creed Revelations, which are probably two of the better versions of the Assassin's Creed and Far Cry games that we've had. I mean, Far Cry 3... Was, I was no, a... I, dis- I disagree with Revelations. That was the one with the tower defense stuff that they added, and it was terrible. I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed Far Cry 3. Far Cry 3 my, my, my opinion on Revelations is that they did not need to make that one. It was it was clearly a filler episode. So. Yeah. But, I don't think I don't think they were any like assisting on it. I think their their lead their lead projects, the division games, what I could tell. My, yeah. my cursory glance at what they'd worked on and also just dance now for mobile. I mean, the division games, although they're not great critically, I mean they still have an A player base. I mean there's worse studios Ubisoft could have tricked it out, definitely. Again, with the Indiana Jones game, Bethesda and Machine Games. I know you're looking forward to that one a lot more. Than... Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing with um, with that, it's an interesting choice of studio because it's the Wolfenstein guys making that. About the only connection I can find between that and Indiana Jones is that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm not even sure if this one's going to have Nazis in it because people have like done some digging in that teaser trailer, and it looks like it's set in Rome, in like the mid 30s, which is like fascist Italy. Yeah, a different flavor of fascist this time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could it could still be like a world hopping thing. We just yeah. won't one part of it because we've seen that in some of the previous Indiana Jones games where it's been in different places. But... I, I don't think you could do an Indiana Jones game justice without a bit of having a red line fly across 
laugh yeah. at some point from somewhere to somewhere else. Well, that actually is the, the loading screen in um, Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine, the old PC game from the 90s, and uh, which I may have recently repurchased because it's on Steam. Because of this news, I was just kind of, I kind of want to play the Infernal Machine again. And But it's, it's just funny seeing that now because running it on a modern PC, that red line, instead of like moving slowly across like it should, it just goes, uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, instantly because when it runs off an SSD on a modern PC it in seconds. I mean, the other joy is with this as well they're interested about doing not just Star Wars mm-hmm. so like having Indiana Jones I mean there's plenty of old Lucasfilm stuff that they could use which isn't Star Wars I mean, yeah. and if American Graffiti the game maybe I'm thinking Monkey Island <laughs> but definitely Monkey Island yes there's, there's plenty they could work with, and there's plenty that they could update. So even if you said like something like Day of the Tentacle, if they worked with Double Fine Games, for example, you could see Lucasfilm and Double Fine Game partnering up post to EA. I think with that though, like that is entirely Double Fine's project property mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think we'll be seeing much out of those properties. Like yeah. the Double Fine have now kind of reclaimed, mm-hmm. but certainly some of the other things that they've got. Yeah, be interesting if they. Did partner up on some stuff though. It'd be mm-hmm. nice to see some like old style Lucas, Lucas Arts point and click adventures. I mean, like you could get them doing Monkey Island because I mean Tim Schafer was one of the yeah key people on the original Monkey Island, so it's like well, might as well get Tim Schafer actually in to work on a new one. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it does free them out so much having this EA exclusivity kind of dead in the water. And I think EA is probably a, more of a different company now from when they originally signed that deal. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to experiment a lot more now. And they're still doing the whole vampire squid sucking up studios left, right and centre, but <laughs> at least they're trying to experiment a little bit. So like, as I said, Star Wars Squadron is what they do with classes, a goodwill game, where it was just one price, no DLC, no transactions, what you see is what you get. And to be fair, they've done quite a few good updates to that game. It's on version 1.4 now, and they've done a lot of free content. They've added the B-Wing and the TIE Defender into it, which people were just... When they originally released that game, it was just basically, this is all you're getting, this is it. There'll be some minor bug fixes and nothing else, whereas they actually have gone and supported it and added new content in for free. So maybe it can be a bit of a demonstration that EA are trying to do something a bit different. And I think Lucasfilm have already said they will be working on EA in with other stuff as well. It just means that the exclusivity of just having EA building games. Jedi Fallen Order was very well received as well. So I think EA realised... I mean, that kind of happens when you get threatened with legal action over <laughs> loot boxes. There's a point where you kind of have to realise maybe we should actually make some good games that we won't get in trouble with actual like governments over. I think that's the key thing for all of this stuff, is just make good games. That, that's all, all anybody wants. Uh, when it comes to these licenses, like don't shovel out twenty five games a year um, just because it's you know it's going to sell to a, a certain proportion of the gaming community. Mm-hmm. So take your time, take your time, and make make a good game. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. having a lot more studios involved means that there is that polishing time now where it's not limited just to one publisher. We we can get lots of people involved on lots of different projects, lots of different styles of projects, which isn't just a first-person open-world mm-hmm. task a lot, laundry list of items that you have to do before moving on to the next area. I think that that is the good thing, because the developers that they've announced with have made high-quality games. Mm-hmm. Like, certainly one of it, Tom Clancy and The Division and all the rest of it, it is generally considered a, a good-quality game, and Machine games, I know that they've received so much praise for what they've been doing with Wolfenstein. Maybe not the last one, but... Yeah. I mean, you order an old blood of very good games yeah. and really recommend yeah. it. We'll keep you updated, I'm sure, when we get some more news. Welcome to the portion of the show where I talk about my Game of the Week. Last week's Game of the Week 
didn't actually come out last week. It released over Christmas in a week without a standard roundup, and there wasn't much to choose from last week. So Airborne Kingdom is eligible to be Game of the Week as far as I'm concerned. It's a city builder, but as the name implies, it's a city in the sky. Gathering resources for new buildings involves flying the whole city around a fantasy map and sending out workers in little planes, while your expansion also needs to factor in weight and balance so the city doesn't fall out of the sky from being over-encumbered. It's a really interesting take on city building and one that looks beautiful to boot. Gotten some good reviews too, so worth checking out. This week's Game of the Week is a re-release of an 11-year-old game. Scott Pilgrim vs. The World of the Game finally re-emerges from digital limbo since it left us alone forever back in 2014. Based on Brian Lee O'Malley's comic book series and Edgar Wright's film based on it, Scott Pilgrim The Game is all about the titular character dating a girl named Ramona Flowers, only to find he needs to defeat all seven of her evil exes. Along the way, he learns important life lessons, such as how the L word doesn't always mean lesbians. Not that much of this is in the game itself, as it's a River City Ransom-style brawler featuring six playable characters and allowing for four-player co-op through seven levels, each corresponding to Romona's exes. Each character has a wide range of unique moves, allowing you to punch the highlights out of your opponent's hair. It's a lot of fun, and its absence due to the licensing rights has made this a bit of a mythic title in the eyes of its cult audience. I'd highly recommend it, as it still holds up as a solid brawler, and while you're at it, check out the comic and film too, if you haven't already. They're all excellent. Of course, we're talking about this elsewhere in the show too. Speaking of which, let's get back to the main show. We thought we'd talk a little bit about online learning. Uh, seems to be a kind of a hot topic in the middle of a pandemic, where everybody's stuck at home, unable to do anything, apart from just, well, talk about stuff and watch stuff. And communicate via a screen, as you're doing currently now, or by your ears. So uh, we thought we'd look at some of the providers and look at examples of where we've used them. So um, outside of mainstream schooling in the UK, some of the options we have and some of the options internationally are learning via YouTube. A lot of people put a lot of content onto YouTube now where you can learn that way. Khan Academy is a free service. Uh, Maths, science courses are on there. Uh, Wikipedia is the all-time favourite where everybody just goes and copies the source out of the Wikipedia source <laughs> rather than just linking to the Wikipedia article on their final year exam. <clears throat> uh, and there's some paid-for services as well. So uh, Brilliant, Stack Skills, uh, Masterclass is one which has been really pushed on a lot of adverts that you see online now. One that I actually use myself is Curiosity to Stream or Nebula, which is basically from the original owner of the Discovery Channel. It's his like online streaming service where you can go and find creators on there and documentaries and interesting discovery, original level discovery kind of stuff. The other thing is probably Humble Bundle as well when they'll do their occasional drop of mm-hmm. learning resources. Just thought we'd highlight some of the alternatives, ask you guys about what kind of alternatives you've used. So Matt, you work in the STEM field, kind of, as a charity that promotes STEM. <laughs> So have you used any of these resources or have you pointed anybody to any of these resources? Not these particularly, but what I've recommended before is the STEM Learning Hub, which is a really good resource. It's purposely for teachers and it's free, but especially with the pandemic and a lot of mixed responses from schools doing their own curriculum, STEM learning is a really interesting hub because it gives you lessons, resources, all free resources, loads of videos and loads of links to external websites about pretty much any topic you can think of within science, tech, engineering and maths. For personal development, one I found quite interesting is a site called Udemy. Normally, the courses are quite expensive. You're looking at sort of £200, but once a year, January, actually, January sales, you can get courses for £5 a pop. And what it is, is essentially vetted experts within the industries. So a couple of game designers from from Unity and Unreal, that kind of thing, they will create their own courses with their own modules and resources, that kind of thing. And at the end, you get a certificate. But it's quite interesting. So for me, I've done Google Ads and loads of digital marketing sort of courses for them. But lastly, in terms of completely free and um, quite easy to access is Harvard University. Um, if you type in 
onlinelearning.harvard. They have a wealth of different courses, everything from web programming and JavaScript to philosophy, human sciences, all sorts, which is quite refreshing for a university to to do that really and it's quite broad so everything from like you know business to humanities to computing that kind of thing so even if you're not thinking i want to learn exactly this it's good for a browse it's a really good resource is it i think we're all checking out you you to me surreptitiously in the background <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's really, really good. And the fact that because they're they're experts rather than anything else, you can actually check them up on LinkedIn, that kind of thing, and start following and go, oh, actually, yeah, I I do want to kind of learn from you. Keith, as somebody who's delivering online learning in your your real life, (laughs) what do you find online learning? Do you think it works for a lot of people? Do you think it's it's struggle? Some people struggle. I think I think it's it's good in some ways. It has a lot of issues. In, in areas where access to equipment and good broadband isn't easy because you are reliant on having machines t- to do that. So it has its, it has its ups and downs. Uh, and for certain things, you can't beat a physical interaction to, to show and guide somebody through some. I've attempted a few online courses in the past. It's easy to just kind of go, oh, I did that bit and I'll, I'll get to it later. And you kind of never get to it. So generally, I use the resources like, like YouTube, I, I encounter an issue. I need to figure out how to do it. So you type into YouTube, how do I do this? And you get a few of the kind of videos that will show that. A couple of other, a couple of other sites that I've kind of used quite a lot, instructables.com, which is a, just a community of people who just put up instructions on how to do things. So um, in there, there's things like how to build an Iron Man suit of armor out of cardboard. It's a very creative, makey service. So you kind of you can kind of scroll through. So it's like how to make paper flowers, how to do bouquets, how to make a cardboard shield, how to do all of these kind of things. Uh, and that's quite nice. And that's just like a guided instructions. So it's one, get your card. So it's, it's photographs. It's not many videos. I've never seen that many videos. It's mostly just kind of instructions and photographs. One I've been looking at recently because I've wanted to upgrade my skills when it comes to After Effects and DaVinci is a service called Domestica.org, which I think is based in Spain or Portugal. And they've got a lot of experts who are not English speakers or, or are from more global backgrounds. Um, so they're all subtitled, whatever it is, but there are um, kind of relatively good courses. So the one, there's the ones for After Effects. They discount them quite quickly. So, you know, for £9.90, you can get a five-lesson course on how to, to do animation in After Effects or how to do colour grading in DaVinci Resolve or how to do um, kind of masks and all kind of effects in Photoshop. So it's very technically based um, for kind of creatives who are wanting to kind of maybe increase their skills or have been using an old version of a software and need to kind of get more acquainted with um, for more recent updates um, for Illustrator, Photoshop, InDesign or whatever. And that's quite good and you get subtitles, but it's it's really easy. You just follow them uh, through their, their guides and take, take it's quite, it's broken down into quite good stages. So you never, you don't feel overwhelmed. Uh, and there's other ways of kind of like, they're also kind of encouraging people to try things to improve their kind of creative careers. So there's kind of courses for paper cutting how to kind of design and illustrate children's books so there's a lot of kind of things like that that kind of kind of good out there um so they're they're good ones as well um but again i think it comes down to your ability to access those services really have you used any online resources i have signed up to skillshare because i got a deal through a youtuber of course um so so guess what those sponsorship messages worked on me um (laughs) Uh, but I've got like like I've got a whole bunch of stuff listed on there that looks genuinely interested stuff to do with social media and video editing and that sort of thing just to kind of hone my skills in those areas a bit more um, but I just need to actually sit down and do them like Keith was saying it's that problem of you have to find that time to actually do these things and also like Keith I've used YouTube a lot especially like video editing when I did my uh, top 100 games of the decade there was all the transitions that I wanted to do and I was just like I don't actually know how to do half of these transitions a lot of googling that's a big part of why that took three months to put together it was just me uh, going on YouTube and just being like so how does keyframing work <laughs> I'd used Premiere for years and didn't know how, how keyframes worked and now that I know now, now that I know it's just opened up a world of, of, of possibility and it's great. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people don't know these resources are out there for most accounts. Mm-hmm. It might be really helpful if you've got children at home who are bored and you have to do a prescribed amount of learning and maybe 
the teaching that they're having doesn't fulfill that full requirement. Here's some alternative options. I mean, Khan Academy, I know, is uh, something I've used in the past. And it's great for like that introductory level courses where you just want basic intro to a certain thing. Khan Academy is great for stuff like that. I mean, I have purchased stuff on Stack Social where they'll do like, again, as Matt said, like Udemy, they'll do a sale occasionally where they'll do like £120 worth of courses for a pound. So it's like stuff like growth hacking or social media, especially. So it's all like online resources. It's usually quite good on there. And there's usually some kind of bundle of like icons or something in there as well. So you get kind of like a benefit that you can use that from another alternative. But as I said, YouTube is definitely one of those. I think it's pretty much because Google owned YouTube. It pretty much points <laughs> it directly to YouTube for any kind yeah. of video learning. So if you do want to, like, as you said, learn how to do a mask or learn how to do a certain feature in After Effects or Vegas or Power Apps is something I'm learning at work at the moment, which is like a Microsoft product, which interacts with Power BI, where you can like build forms, web forms, online quizzes, stuff like that. So I'm kind of mucking along with doing bits as well as I can, and at the same time watching lots of YouTube videos, and I'll be doing some online learning with that. The, my one big worry with this is, are people going to be left behind who aren't passive learners, who need that active learning in it, who need to like interact and do stuff on it? with their hands and like you have physical learners and are they going to struggle where it's just a case of it's content on screen and no involvement i think there's a certainly a benefit to like having that kind of having someone assist in your learning which obviously is what you get with a lot of traditional classes and you won't really get with online stuff yeah you can learn how to do little bits and pieces but there might be some things where you just like I could do I can do this being checked if I'm doing this right, if this could be improved, you know. I think this is kind of a good way of topping up skills, offering some sort of foundation to what you want, but I think long term you kind of need that extra level of support. Definitely. I think it also is the fact that you you haven't got discussion. Mm-hmm. So I find one of the best ways of learning stuff is talking about what I'm doing. You go off on different tangents and somebody will suggest another thing and go, oh, what, what, if, what if we do this? So instead of doing things by rote, because that's what you see within a group of people, somebody might go, oh, actually, I've just looked at that and we could do this instead or that instead. So I think discussion, bouncing ideas off other people is, is a vital part, for, particularly for me, definitely. I need the stimulation of other people to kind of keep me thinking, feeding ideas backwards and forwards. And that, and you, can't, you can ask questions as well when you don't understand it. The number of YouTube videos I go through where you just go, I can't see what you're doing. Your production values <laughs> on this is terrible. You're showing me something on the screen and I cannot read it. No matter how big you blow it up, you can't see it. So, you, you know, you do waste a bit of time going through the, the next one. Whereas any other time you just go, excuse me, excuse me, sir, I can't quite read that. What's that say? And you get that, you get that feedback and feedback is a vital element. It's kind of funny when you, you mentioned that because I think while looking at video editing tips, if there was ever a video where the guy took like five minutes to get to the point, I was like, I'm not learning editing off this guy. Because <laughs> he doesn't understand editing. Yeah. Or in, in, if they've got the After Effects window open and it's got 63 different kind of layers and what they're doing and you just go I can't follow this you've just moved something I don't know where that is I've got my I've got my window open I don't know what I'm doing we, we all know how it works on YouTube first you have to say like subscribe share then you have to now talk about the ratio of the people who aren't subscribed to the channel yet watch the video and then ask them to subscribe once again then you go to the sponsorship for a minute and a half. or Skillshare <laughs> and then you get to the actual content about 30% of the way through the video that, that's and they've all got to be 10 minutes long as well. Because yeah. that's and then you cut it off before that point so they can then subscribe to your Patreon to unlock the rest of the, uh, yeah. the learning. This, this, um, this, this, uh, this thing will be continued in part two of this video, <laughs> which will be next week. And then you'll have three adverts and a mid-roll. There's nothing like learning in a, in a, in a room with other people. Yeah. Could you imagine that in a classroom and just like the teacher just says halfway through the lesson? But, but before we turn to page 24... I'd like to tell you about today's sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> so you might notice these these earbuds that are on my desk. These are Ray. <laughs> Whilst you're all self learning, I'm playing Rage Shadow Legends yeah. on my phone. <laughs> the, the amount of ads for Rage Shadow Legends at the moment is go go back onto the yeah. topic. Lots of great online resources out there. Uh, we'll again, we'll put a big list. We'll put a link to. But if, if we've missed any, if there's any good ones out there that we've not come across, again, drop us a message, let us know. Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brewing Podcast this week. 
Matt, where can we find you online? You can find me on Instagram at matchstick underscore Matt, where I mostly post selfies. Um, or you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Lovell, where I'm liking and retweeting Drag Race memes because it's coming back um, <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Are you going to give somebody the pork chop? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and of course, you can also find me on the Geekbury website where I do a weekly roundup alongside Lee. Coming on to Lee, where can we find you online? Where can we find your great YouTube channel? Uh, so, in addition to that gaming roundup on geekbury.com every Friday, uh, you can also find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret where I do gaming videos of various different stripes. Um, there's going to be some changes going on in the next couple of months just as I kind of improve and build on what I've did over the past year. You can get updates on that on Twitter above the pet ferret, and you can also find me tweeting more generally at the cheap ferret. The channel is also supported by Patreon, which is also Bob the Pet Ferret. And go and check out his Control and Alan Wake video in his Losing the Plot series at the minute, because Control's mm-hmm. now on Game Pass on mm-hmm. Xbox, so if you've not played Control, it's really good. There's a few spoilers in there, but it explains a lot about the Alan Wake universe and the Remedy crossovers. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Keith, where can we find you online? Uh, my personal accounts on Twitter are hardluck underscore hotel and hardluck hotel on Instagram. Um, but you'll find most of my rantings on a Wednesday on the Geeky Brummy Twitter stream, where I kind of run through some of the comics that have taken my interest over that that week. And then my kind of regular roundup with the meanwhile section, which has a bit of kind of comics related news in it on the Wednesdays as well through the geekybrummy.com website. And you can find me at Ryan Parrish on Twitter, where I don't actually post that much. At the minute, it's mainly just Geeky Brewery Tree Channel. I promise <laughs> to do some of it at some point. Uh, but you can find us all at geekybrewery.com on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or at Geeky Brewery. And of course, on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Geeky It's kind of like we've all got it aligned. It's great. Isn't it? <laughs> and you'll find us, or one of us, somewhere at some point, at some time. We kind of like time lords. We all move around a little bit. But for now, thank you very much for joining us, and goodbye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.